Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude and over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hello, my friends. I'm always so excited when I get to pull out the mic and chat into your ear. I uh, feel like I've been in endless supply of content lately. I just, where does it come from? Nobody knows. Just keeps coming. So I keep on talking. Um, I have been getting some tremendous feedback about the uh the the podcast episode that I recorded when um, I was I was setting out to record this one and realized I was posting all these disclaimers and I was like this is this needs to be an entirely separate podcast and it was one of those episodes that I was nervous about publishing um, and I almost pulled it the night before I almost pulled it and su- super glad that I did not because it's resonating with you and for that I am happy. I had somebody just DM me just yesterday saying, um, I'm going to listen to this episode every time I need to hype myself up. And I am here for that. I am here for that. Um, all right. So today we're, we're going to tuck into the science of fear, which is obviously an extraordinarily large topic. So I'm going to just kind of cherry pick a couple of specific topics, um, that I want to discuss. Um, specifically how fear can play into our happiness and our health. And I think we all kind of want to be happy and healthy. So let's unpack it a little bit. First, I'm very excited to announce this, very excited to announce this, that I'm doing a boundaries broadcast. So I'm teaching a, I don't know, a workshop, a webinar. What do we call these things? A live class. Um, on boundaries. Practitioners or boundaries for practitioners is what I'm calling it because, you know, it needs a name. Um, So it's totally great for practitioners and clinicians. That's kind of who I designed it for. And, um, you know, everybody who's in my Functional Nutrition Academy, they are practitioners and clinicians, they'll get free access to this. So I'm definitely, I definitely have that, that person in mind. However, it's super appropriate for anyone in the healing and service space who run their own business and practice. Like I'm thinking about um, therapists. I'm thinking about photographers. I mean, this could really extend to a lot of different people. So if you're not a practitioner, you it doesn't mean you cannot sign up for this. Um, I Like I said, I just needed a name for it. Um, and I happen to be a practitioner. So I'll be using real world examples of uh, certain boundaries that I've had to create for myself. Now, I haven't always been as big on boundaries as I am, but I hit a 
real period of burnout um, a couple of different times throughout the 10 years that I've been doing this work where I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to close it all down. Like just totally close the doors, the virtual doors to my business. Um, and that's a real sure sure fire sign of burnout. And so for me, boundaries, creating boundaries has really been um, a sort of like the anecdote to, to burnout. So I could continue to show up and do this work. So if you are somebody who wants to grow your business sustainably, and by sustainably, I mean doing something now that you can see doing for a year, two years, a decade, 20 years into the future, you know, because we can, we can burn bright, hard and fast and then fizzle out. That's not really the name of the game though. So if you want to prevent burnout, if you want to feel supported in your work and just feel really excited and looking forward to every client interaction that you have, if you want to, this is a big one for me, challenge the current narrative that tells us we must bleed out in order to serve others, then this class is absolutely for you. We're going to cover uh, using boundaries as a way to bring your business into alignment and hone in on your ideal customer and client. Um, we're also going to talk about why boundary setting can be so hard. (laughs) I think I talk about boundaries a lot and maybe it, it looks easy for me to do, but that's because I've practiced them so much, but we can really struggle and we have to identify those areas where we struggle and how we can overcome those struggles. Doing the inner work, really addressing where you stand in your own way with setting boundaries. And then, of course, we have to identify our own triggers. We're going to talk about different ways to communicate your boundaries. I am a PDB, public displays of boundaries type of gal. You might not be. That's perfectly okay. We have to discuss what works best for you. That's it. Um, We're going to talk about being an empath in business, a highly sensitive, highly feeling person, because um, I think the term empath is has gained a lot of traction. And so more people are familiar and can self-identify as an empath, but they almost use this as a way to like close themselves off because I get so burnt out by, you know, because of, you know, by being an empath. And there's certainly ways I am an empath, hardcore true. Um, and there's certain ways to protect ourselves and protect our energy in order to show up and do the work that we love. We'll talk specifically about social media, email, and other communication boundaries, time and money boundaries, um, specific boundary violations that you might encounter and how to respond to them, uh, na- navigating negative feedback. And then we'll talk about you know the witchy shit, which is like my practices for creating energetic boundaries. I love that stuff. So it's going to be a, a, a lengthy class. It's going to probably be about two and a half hours. And um, it's going to be really fun. I have it set for uh, Saturday at the end of July. So Saturday, July 24th, it will start at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. That way, you know, we can all meet together and then we can go have our like summer Saturdays afterwards after we talk about boundaries. And I set it for 10 a.m. in case you're on the West Coast. Uh, I know that I have people literally all over the world listening to this. So it's so hard to narrow down the best time for everybody. Um, The best I could do is say, hey, West Coast, I got you. You know, I was going to set it for nine, but I felt like 6 a.m. might be a little too aggressive. Anyway, you can find that on the Functional Nutrition Academy website, functionalnutritionacademy.com. Functional is spelled with a K. And it's the events and offerings page. 
and I'm super excited to see you there live. I really can't wait. I want to teach this class like tomorrow because I'm so jazzed about it. I think you guys will love it. I know you guys will benefit from it. So sign up for that. Um, there'll also be like a nice Q&A section at the end. So hooray. That's linked up in the show notes. So check it out. So let's get back to fear. The, the purpose and the intention of this show is to help us understand more of what happens when we are in fear and also understand that some of us might perceive fear differently and it might have different effects on different people. Okay. So it shows up differently for all of us. Now, last episode, I touched upon that hypochondria label. I always get fired up about that. Hope you enjoyed that. I dropped an F-bomb and I was like, should I edit that out? I'm like, nah, I'm going to leave it. Um, I, I do apologize to the people who are jarred by swears. I just love to swear so much that I can't help myself. I love it. I love it coming out of my mouth. I love hearing it. I am, I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a swear girl. What can I say? Um, now, if you've been labeled as a hypochondriac or self-labeled as a hypochondriac, um, or you're just someone who feels very hypervigilant or on guard, and it might not have to do with your body or symptoms necessarily. Maybe you feel on guard or hypervigilant as a parent or a caretaker, or maybe in relationships. Um, or if you, if you are not hypervigilant, you don't, self-identify as that, but you have someone in your life who you think is a hypochondriac and hypervigilance, and maybe there's like a little bit of judgment there or a misunderstanding, this will probably be a helpful episode for you and hopefully help you understand what's going on physiologically in the brain. I'm going to touch upon a lot of different things here, and I really think that there's probably some nuggets of info for just about everybody in the show. And what I will say is that Simply listening to this episode might shift something in you. And it reminds me of um, when I was working with Dr. Kristen Zame. She's a um, she is a physical therapist who I've had on the show a couple of times. And we were talking about, I was very anxious about pain. And I've I've shared this story on the podcast before. Um, but to newer listeners who maybe haven't heard that, I went to her because it was I had been told by my um, rheumatologist that I have joint hypermobility. And so I had to pull back on a lot of the physical practices that I was doing, like yoga, because it was, quote unquote, not safe for me in my joints. And so I went to her because she has a deep understanding of hypermobility. And so I sought her out specifically. And we had this conversation. This is before she ever looked at me. Uh, like looked at, you know, you know, my body before she ever put hands on me, ever stuck needles in my body, nothing. We just had a conversation and that conversation changed everything. And she helped me understand that chronic pain is a decision that the brain makes. And so it doesn't mean that when my joints ache, that there is this fundamental breakdown in my body. It doesn't mean that my body's attacking itself. It doesn't mean that there's an injury. It doesn't mean that bad things are happening in me. It is something, it's a decision that the brain is making. And we'll talk about this concept of uh, neuroplasticity and uh, this concept of neurons that fire together, wire together. And two things that had paired together were fear, fear and anxiety and also pain. And so when ever I experienced pain, it would elicit, boom, just like that fear. My body is attacking me. 
this is part of my autoimmune process. This is a bad thing. And then that fear would re-trigger the pain. And I was very, it was caught in this vicious loop. And what is interesting, and she helped me understand that sometimes when I was in, when I was in fear, when I was having anxiety, I would also get pain out of like the clear blue sky. So I had to kind of uh, tease apart these two things, but honestly, just having this information, because no one had ever explained that to me before. No one had ever taught that to me before. So literally just by having that conversation, something in my brain changed and I was able to understand the next time that that pattern uh, happened, I was able to be aware of it. And in doing so, it downregulated the fear and it downregulated the pain. And the more I did that, the more, the easier it got. And so I was able to start practicing yoga. I was able to kind of push my um, limitations on what movement felt safe for me. And now there's really nothing off limits to me in terms of movement. So I, when I am talking through some of these things, you might have like a eureka aha moment that changes the game for you. Don't be frustrated with yourself if you do not, okay? There's going to be a lot of you, and I would say that this is probably true for those of you who struggle with ongoing issues like food sensitivities, IBS, gut issues, chronic pain, chronic fatigue, autoimmunity, or any other chronic conditions. There's some of you that are like, this is just the tip of the iceberg and I want more. And I am telling you, this is a promise that I am making that there is more coming. I am building out a program. I am not going to announce a date because I don't have one because I am currently implementing a lot of these strategies with a lot of different uh, clients. Uh, When I do create the program or put the program out there, it will most likely be evergreen self-study. So basically you can purchase it anytime off of my website because I want you to have this when you need it, not just like when I'm running a live program. And I'm really going to design it as a companion guide for any other healing modality. So if you're working with another practitioner, you can also do this in addition to whatever you're doing with them. If you're not working with a practitioner, you can do this in addition to your own, um, your own healing stuff. Um, so ultimately this is, this is like really where my area of focus is right now. And my own practice is, uh, and you know, my own business is using our own biology to heal, using our understanding of the brain and our understanding of new science to be the architects of our own healing experiences. So, I'm so excited about it. In the meantime, in the meantime, if you don't want to wait for that program, because who knows when it's going to come out, I do recommend that you join your hormone revival because I'm adding lots of this stuff to the next round. We are restructuring the program. We're amplifying it um, so I can bring in more of this work to the program. I, I call the program your hormone revival. It could also be called your revival because it's not just hormones that we address. I don't spot treat hormones. We obviously really tuck into hormones, but there's so many other um healing experiences that come out of this because part of what we do in YHR is understand and address the environment because you cannot regulate and balance in the same environment that you dysregulated or got imbalanced in. So we really work on the environment and um, it's going to be great. So stay tuned for some specific updates to that program. My goal is to blow your mind. So hopefully that happens. All right. And I think 
a really important place to start with this conversation is with this statement. We are either in fear or in healing mode. Can't be in both. Can't be in both both places at once. Fear elicits fight or flight. Healing, in order for us to be in healing mode, we have to be in the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. Now, if healing isn't your bag, if you're like, I'm healed, bitch, like, I don't need to, like, I don't, like, I'm good. I mean, this is a health podcast. But another way to think about this is we are either in fear or in creation mode. Um, I love this quote from Stephen Kotler uh, in the book, The Art of Impossible. Scarcity of resources is always the largest threat to our survival, making it the largest driver of evolution. And there are only two possible responses to this threat. You can fight over dwindling resources, or you can go exploring, get creative, innovative, and cooperative, and make new resources, right? It's a one or the other, right? Fear or healing, fear or creation. And I think that, you know, he, he, he writes a lot about this flow state. And I think that this creative flow state is what we're all after. You might have heard reference to the term flow. And if you're not after it, I sure as heck am. Um, this, is act, this is why I meditate. This is why I spend time in nature every day. This is why I do breath work and specific breathing practices. It's why I do work that I love. It's so I can access this flow state as much as possible because it feels really good. The neurochemical responses in the flow state feel really good. It's a lot of endorphins. Endorphins are a form of internally produced opioids. They are pleasure producing. They make us feel pleasure. They're also natural painkillers, so they reduce our pain. Um, In a recent show, I can't remember if it was the last one or the one before. Anyway, I mentioned a um, a compound, it's an endocannabinoid, um, called anandamide. Oh my God. <laughs> I literally, okay. I was trying to, I recorded, a, uh, I had a live teaching call with the FNA students earlier today and I was trying to produce, or was trying to say this word and I couldn't say it. And so I went ahead and I found a YouTube video of somebody pronouncing the word so I could then pronounce it. And I even wrote it out in my notes how to pronounce it. And I still can't do it. It's just one of those things. It's like, I can't spell the word necessarily. Like, F that. I don't even try. There's like too many S's. There's too many C's. There's like rogue L's. I don't even know what's happening. So I just stopped trying to spell that word. It's. I think that's what's going to happen with this. I, I cannot pronounce this word. Anandamide. Anandamide. Anyway, it's an endocannabinoid. It's a feel-good chemical. And I was talking about it in relation to um, hemp oil. And I'm not going to tell you that taking full-spectrum hemp oil gets me into a flow state, but it absolutely does help me stay calm. So shout out to Coyote River Hemp Co., where that's the stuff that I use. The I use the 1,000 milligram CBD tincture as a daily... Uh, a daily thing to take to support um, my stress response because I tend to be highly high stress. Anyway, um, check them out, coyoteriverhempco.com. You can use 
code FUNK10 to save 10% off of your order. But this compound, it's an endocannabinoid. It, it's a, it's a pain-killing, pleasure-inducing chemical. It binds to the same receptors as THC, which is the, chem- the chemical we all know in cannabis that gets you high. This does not get you high. But this chemical, it was first discovered because it's produced during flow state. And this flow state might be considered the um, the runner's high in sports, right? But it's also, we can find it in singing, enchanting, dancing, meditating, whenever you're in a flow state. So our bodies, our brains in this flow state produce these really feel-good chemicals. Most of us aren't accessing this flow state, which is why we need to take, take things like CBD oil to help us to help our brains and help our bodies feel good. Um, but it's a really important thing. Endorphins, not only do they just like make us feel good and like enjoy things more, but endorphins also balance the immune system. In fact, this is a treatment strategy for all of my folks with autoimmunity, anybody with immune balance, including multiple food sensitivities, multiple chemical sensitivities, a really worthy endeavor in terms of healing is to increase opioid and endorphin production. Um, that is some, that is a strategy that I use with all my immune folks, but that flow state is really where healing happens. And what my goal is it it like, just in terms of my life's work is to set people up into what I call optimal healing mode. Right. And in a lot of that is trying to access this flow state. And we can't access this flow state if we're in fear. The two cannot coexist. What I think is also cool about flow state is in um, 2008, John Hopkins neuroscientist Charles Lim used fMRI to study the brains of jazz musicians when they were in the flow. And he found that the area of the brain that's responsible for self-monitoring essentially deactivated. Now, Stephen Kotler explains self-monitoring as that voice of doubt, that defeatist nag, our inner critic. And I don't know about you, but to me, this was a very interesting piece of information. I think that we have a tendency to over-self-monitor ourselves. Some of us, myself definitely, for sure. Um, and geez, especially now in like, you know, cancel culture, fear, fear culture, you know, it's so hard to be creative. It's so hard to put yourself out there without overthinking. Right. So like, especially now, um, and this is, you know, I talk a lot about fear holding us back, especially lately, a a lot of how fear holds us back from doing the things that we want to do. You know, it has a lot to do with this, like self monitoring, I think, um, and what's interesting, when I think about the clients that I've worked with who are self-conscious, perhaps self-monitoring, um, about any of their perceived hypochondriac tendencies or of being labeled as such or of feeling burdensome to other people, I, you know, for, I'll give you some examples, like real-world examples. Um, people get nervous about ordering meals at restaurants. Like, so if, if let's say I run a wheat zoomer on somebody and it comes back that they're very sensitive to wheat, they're like, okay, so what should I say at a restaurant when I'm ordering out? You know, how do I navigate this when I'm at a friend's house? They feel very almost burdensome because they have this thing 
right? This thing that's like wrong with them. Or like if somebody brings food to parties, feeling self-conscious about that, but they just need something to like, you know, keep them safe. Um, or if people are sensitive to chemicals or to fragrance and they have to ask people not to wear fragrance in their homes. Um, you know, recently we're redoing our kitchen and I had to ask about VOCs and formaldehyde and all sorts of like, you know, questions about the cabinetry that we're bringing into our home and certain flooring that we're bringing into our home. And I, I felt like a nuisance, you know, and I just wonder, and by the way, I shouldn't feel like a nuisance. Like I want to, I just want to, I want to validate. I I felt like a nuisance because I was self-conscious of of that feeling burdensome, feeling like, oh, I I have to make their job harder by asking these questions. Right. I should not feel that way. So I just want to, I want to validate that. Um, But I do wonder if accessing this flow state can actually make us worry less about how we think other people perceive us. And that can just maybe enhance our overall experience of life because ultimately taking care of ourselves, doing the things we need to do to support our bodies, to keep ourselves safe, shouldn't be a stressful endeavor. It really shouldn't elicit a fear response. So I was just kind of thinking about that in regards to that that flow state. And a lot of us, a lot of us have felt a lot of fear over the past year in change, right? That's kind of been the, the overarching theme is a lot of fear, fear of getting sick, fear of losing jobs, the not knowingness of it all. Functional medicine and functional medicine, we talk a lot about root causes. But what we see is that before someone gets sick, it's often, it's often, um, there's often a, a stressful event that takes place before someone gets sick. That's the thing that kind of overflows the bucket, so to speak. And something that I was hearing a lot from my clients was that they were, you know, it was a lot of fear and a lot of stress. So um, even, you know, trying to keep a business afloat during COVID was was insane for people. Um, but even people who had a job, they were working 16-hour days. And I, I say that specific number because there were multiple people who specifically said I was working 16 hour days. And then on top of homeschooling children, I mean, it, it and then just navigating this, the unknown and the fear of all the things and the, the fear of making a decision about a vaccine, all the things, all the things, all the things, all the things. It was a stressful and fearful year. And when we're in a chronic fight or flight uh, pathway, like when that pathway is chronically elevated, it really has disastrous disastrous impacts on the immune system. And I am not saying that to elicit even more fear, but elevated stress hormones really, really wear down the immune system. And so what we started to see were a lot of symptoms popping up or people that had really been in remission or were in a good place with their health started to have these massive flares, whether it was pain or autoimmunity or gut issues or hormonal imbalances. We started to see a lot of stuff flare up, which makes sense given the fact that everyone was like kind of baked in fear. Now, if there's any history of trauma this can potentially make an acute stressor feel even worse in the body. So folks with a history of trauma 
the stress feels even more stressful. The fear, it creates even more fear. Trauma produces actual physiological changes. So we see a recalibration of the brain's alarm system. We, that's the, the limbic system, the amygdala that we'll talk about in a bit. It increases stress hormone activity. Uh, it alters the systems that fil- filters out relevant information from irrelevant. So we see big time changes. Once the stress system is damaged, we can over-respond to stress and our ability to recover gets impacted and impaired. So we over-respond to stress and we recover less well, right? It's not a great combination. I think we can all agree. And the stress hormones of traumatized people take a lot longer to return to baseline. So they spike quickly. They spike disproportionately in response to mildly stressful stimulus. Now, if you remember back to, I always think about Carly, um, when we did that EMDR episode, Carly said that trauma is, I'm going to paraphrase, anything too much, too fast, too soon without enough support, right? So think about any, you know, any traumas that you might have have had, you know, exposure to and how that might impact how you perceive fear. And we can go all the way back to childhood um, because we see this a lot with, with adults who experienced adverse childhood experiences. They're also referred to as ACEs. They're essentially potentially traumatic events that occur in childhood. So this is anything from zero to 17 years. So it could be violence, abuse, neglect. It could be witnessing violence in the home or in your community, having a family member attempt suicide or die by suicide. It can be substance abuse problems, anything that really undermines the sense of safety or the sense of stability or the sense of bonding, um, mental health problems, uh, parents separating or somebody in the household being in jail, all of these things would fall under the ACE category. And there's a free quiz that you can do online. It's the ACE, I think it's called the ACE score, uh, the ACE quiz. Um, I'll have Lauren link to it in the show notes if if you want to access that. It's not a, a super long test, but it does spit you out a score. And we know that folks who have a higher score um, are more predisposed to chronic illness, to autoimmunity, to IBS, to mental health issues, right? It, it can impact us long-term. And essentially adults with ACEs are on high alert. So I was, you know, kind of talking about current fear and how, f- current, you know, fear that we're experiencing in real time can impact things and kind of take us out of that flow state and take us out of the healing mode. But if this fear has really been baked into the system, the fear can kind of perpetuate on and on and on. And then when you're met with another fear, it's, it feels even more jarring and you stay on high alert, right? This is essentially a habit that was learned in childhood when they couldn't be sure, I should say when we couldn't be sure when we'd face that next high tension situation, that unpredictability of stressors is so hard. The difficulty of not knowing, waiting for the other shoe to drop, 
catastrophizing, right? Um, I, I, I'm sure I've said this before, and if I haven't, I should say it because it was such a, a major aha moment for me when a therapist was like, first of all, I had never heard that term catastrophize before, and he gave it to me. <laughs> Here, you can have this. Um, and he's like, this is very common for children of alcoholic parents. There's alcoholism in the home. You don't know what to expect. It's very unpredictable. So you have to prepare yourself for the worst possible outcome. So you are ready for the worst possible outcome. Well, hey, guess what? I'm 37 and I'm still doing that shit. <laughs> so these things, these habits that we form in childhood, we can carry them all the way up, right, right through adulthood, especially if we're not aware of them. Um, but I, I also really think about chronic illness and how there's so much commonality because the unpredictability of symptoms or the not knowing what's going to trigger symptoms, let's just stick with food sensitivities for an example. If somebody has multiple food sensitivities, this creates, or IBS, this creates a very stressful situation because you know, you don't know what foods tripped you off. You're overthinking. You stay on guard. You stay hypervigilant with food. And the, right, this just like this, this staying on guard leads to hypervigilance, right? And so we'll continue to talk about this concept a little bit more, but this is why I get really fired up when somebody is like, oh, you're just a hypochondriac. I'm like, yeah, but I've got like years of trauma. <laughs> I have so many reasons for it, right? My the, the structure of our brain, it might be a little bit different. Like, stop the judgment, homie. Like, just because it doesn't apply to you doesn't mean you should be judging other people. Like, that's poor form. Um, I'm, you know, I'm making light of this of a of of a not light uh, situation because, hey, guess what? Laughter is my trauma response. Anyway. Um, hopefully you can laugh with me and you don't really think that I'm making light of, you know, real serious stuff. But essentially, when something traumatic occurs, adrenaline and noradrenaline in the brain alters the chemical and electrical pathways in the area of the brain that's responsible for memory function, uh, formation. So what happens, these hormones, these chemicals trigger this process where the brain captures stores and encodes these traumatic memories. The brain holds onto trauma, not just to make your life hard, okay? The brain holds onto trauma for a reason. So we need to understand why. And a lot of it, probably all of it has to do with protection. Holding onto the trauma memory keeps them safe, right? If I can hang on to this memory, then I won't relive it. I will stay on guard. This won't happen again. But unfortunately, this changes our thought process too. And so it makes negative thoughts, fears, reactivity, and worries more likely to occur over time. We know that our body, like our physical body, physiologically reacts to fear-based thoughts and stress by creating stress hormones and inflammatory compounds. All of that leads to more brain dysfunction, neuroinflammation, inflammation of the brain. And this just becomes a cycle. The more we have these fear-based thoughts, the more it like triggers our brain to have more fear-based thoughts. And so this, this is why unresolved trauma can lead to a dysregulated limbic system. What the, what the, what, what's a limbic system? Hang on. I'm going to take a sip. 
uh, because I've been talking a lot for 34 minutes exactly. I'm taking a sip. Oh, sorry if you could hear that gulp. I could not help myself. Um, I just am drinking Organifi red juice right now, which made me think of, I was telling you that I was recording a Q&A session for FNA. We do live coaching every other week. And um, one of the questions that came in was about acromancia being below detectable limits on a stool test. Now, if you've done a stool test like a GI map uh, or you run them, because I know I have a lot of clinicians that listen to this show, I you you might see below detectable limits on a lot of your tests. I see them, I would say, like in probably 30%, 30 to 40% of the stool tests that I run. So it's a relatively common finding. Um, this particular practitioner was saying she sees them on a lot. And she was asking, what are the suggestions? And red polyphenols are my go-to for acromancia uh, to get those species growing back, which is why I pound my Organifi red juice um, you, you, if you listen to the show, you should have a coupon code to save 20% off of, um, all your Organifi purchases. They are a sponsor of the show. I love them. Um, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com and the code is funk and it saves you 20%. So let's talk about the limbic system. Okay. It's a, it's a part of the brain and this is where the amygdala kind of comes into play. The amygdala you probably have heard before as the fear center. So the limbic system essentially interprets input and it gives meaning to experiences. It pulls in information and then it like helps us process memory, emotion. It decides, you know, should we hold on to this as conscious thought or should we like keep it as memories or like, what should we do with this information, right? The brain is like just like an information processing system. Um, the amygdala specifically identifies danger. Is this incoming input relevant to our survival? It's designed to keep you alive. It processes all emotions, but really specifically fear and anxiety as a super fun job. And it puts fear and learning together. So it creates a response pattern to any trigger. So example, if you touch a hot stove and you get burned, chances are you're probably not going to touch a hot stove ever again, right? That's the amygdala kick, kicking in. It is taking any past, you know, it's it's taking all that information and saying like, you know, memorize this, do this again, don't do this again. But any past experience of danger will directly activate the amygdala. And so we have to think about if we have anxiety, what past experiences of danger have we experienced? Because chances are those are going to be more likely to trigger anxiety, to trigger fear in us, even though it might be different, a different response for somebody else who did not experience that. Okay. This is why our brains really dictate how we perceive threats in our, our, it's based on our previous experience. That's why it's so different for everybody. And that's why we shouldn't call people hypochondriacs. Have I beaten that point home yet? Um, so like I said, unresolved trauma, just meaning trauma that hasn't been processed in the body or consciously can lead to dysregulation in this limbic system. Now, trauma isn't just childhood trauma. It can be any type of trauma that we experience including chronic illness. I shared with you, I think last last episode, that 
that I really do look at chronic illness, navigating chronic illness, trying desperately for years to get a diagnosis, being told nothing is wrong, and then navigating these symptoms that nobody can really explain, and then finally getting a diagnosis, but not really have any any treatment solutions, just like more and more and more questions, feeling very unsupported, having very few resources to manage all of this, nobody understanding you, maybe people calling you a hypochondriac, I cannot help but get my dig in, <laughs> right? All of this stuff is traumatic. It is traumatic. So the this part of the brain, what's, I think it's so important to understand that this part of the brain can easily jump to conclusions. So we have a part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex or the PFC, which is, it's kind of like the CEO. It's like the, the higher operating system. It's, 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 really like logical thinking and planning and analyzation and all, you know, all that stuff. Um, but the amygdala operates faster than the prefrontal cortex. So the amygdala, the fear response is going to kick in quicker. It's going to decide whether to trigger a fight or flight response faster than the cortex can swoop in and make a more judicious decision on like what's really happening here. And so with a history of trauma or a history of a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, what we what can start to happen is we overgeneralize fearful memories. This leads to generalized anxiety and it can really just kind of worsen our overall experience of well-being. Remember what I said earlier, neurons that fire together wire together. When a circuit fires repeatedly, it becomes the default setting. This is the setting that is most likely to occur, the response that's most likely to occur. The pathway to the amygdala is the low road. I got this from the book, When the Body Keeps the Score, which is a phenomenal read. Highly, highly, highly recommend. So the pathway to the amygdala is the low road. The pathway to the prefrontal cortex is the high road. It takes longer. When your body senses a threat to survival, which pathway is it going to take? Of course, it's going to take the low road, right? Of course it will. Of course it will. So that amygdala is really designed to protect us from dangers by triggering that fight or flight response. If it senses a threat, it's going to send an instant message to the hypothalamus and the brain. It recruits the stress hormones, activates the nervous system, and the whole body is in a stress response. I've really talked a lot about this um, this whole this whole uh, process before when I've talked about cortisol and the adrenals. So you can go back to previous episodes if you're feeling a little lost here. Uh, but since that amygdala response is, is faster than the prefrontal cortex response, it decides on a threat even before we are consciously aware of the danger. Danger, And I'm really like getting this point across because this is what we see happening with certain conditions like chronic fatigue, like fibromyalgia, like multiple chemical sensitivities, anxiety disorders, panic, IBS, food sensitivities, pain syndromes those unresolved symptoms actually trigger the fear center. And we don't necessarily take the logical mind and take the time to have the logical mind say, you are not in danger. You're not like 
this is not a threat to your survival right now. It's just like the amygdala becomes a runaway train. It stimulates the nervous system, the stress response, the immune system pretty much every time you have a symptom. And I know there's a lot of folks listening to this right now that is like nodding their head up and down. This whole thing creates even more symptoms. It's kind of like what I was talking about with the anxiety and the fear and the pain, right? What is, what's going on is that the brain is stuck in a loop and it keeps reacting and responding to itself. So it's not actually responding to the threat. It's responding to itself. And this is part of the reason that conventional medicine struggles with these conditions. I, I always say that these are like the bucket syndromes. People are just dropped into a bucket of like, oh, we're not really sure what to do with you. And we know that conventional medicine separates all the branches of medicine, right? We have this field and this field and this field and this field. And like we, we have tunnel vision. And in reality, all of these things are one. Immunology, neurology, psychology, like in the brain, they're all one. The brain is essentially assessing, what do I need to do to survive? And then the body triggers the defense responses. That's basically what's going on. So a lot of these conditions are due to an overstimulation of survival responses. That does not mean they're not real. That does not mean your symptoms are not real. That does not mean this is all in your head. It might originate in the brain, but the, phys the physical symptoms in your body are real. Essentially, what needs to happen here is the, we need to break the fear loop. We have to interrupt the fear loop. We have to understand what's going on. We have to become more conscious of these patterns and stop ourselves in our tracks when we start to spiral. Listen, this is true for anxiety and this is true for physical symptoms in the body, okay? Because even though the initial threat is gone, the brain is still reacting as though it is present. It recognizes your symptoms as the threat, right? It perceives the symptoms in the body as dangerous, even though it's more of a reaction to the fear response. And why it gets even more tricky and more complex and more convoluted is because the thing that we want to heal, the thing that we're so desperate to heal, can be the thing that's trying to keep us safe. And we want to be safe in the world, in our lives, in our bodies, we want to be safe. The brain always prioritizes safety. It always prioritizes survival, overgrowth, overregeneration, overhealing. We need to be in parasympathetic mode in order for healing to happen. We have to get there. Part of healing chronic conditions and fear-based thinking and anxiety is to observe how this wound might be keeping us safe. It's attempting to keep us safe. Can we open up the doorway just a little bit, just a, just a scotch, just a creak, in order to make space for this? That the thing that we are trying to fix in ourselves might be the thing that's trying to keep us safe. And if that's true, how do we start to heal? And I think it's really learning how to hold more safety in your body, how to access that flow state, how to feel safe in the body. And 
this is where more layers of healing can happen. And honestly, this is why we spend so much time here in your hormone revival, so much time. So this is a lot of stuff thrown your way. And I think I'm, I'm, this is maybe not a solutions based episode where I'm going to give you like the, the, the checks, you know, like the checklist of things to do in order to, to heal. But I hope you have a deeper understanding of like how fear impacts the body, how fear impacts the brain, how long-term chronic fear and anxiety can impact the body and the brain. Um, but I do want to leave you with a couple messages of hope. And that is that the brain is plastic. The brain can be changed. The brain can restore itself. So if all of these things are going on in the brain, we can change that. The brain isn't a set it and forget it organ. The brain is plastic. It's malleable. We can change it. It requires work. It requires effort, no doubt, but it can be done. The brain and the body are never static. They're always in the process of becoming and changing. That's a quote from Childhood Disrupted which is another phenomenal book. Okay. So I hope you got some nuggets out of this episode. It is always my intention that you walk away from this show with just a little something that made your life a little bit better. Love you guys. See you next week. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.